You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. This means that we donate 1% of our time and 1% of our revenue to conservation. If you want to find out how you or your business can get certified or learn more about the organization, visit fishandwildlife.org. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. It is that time, everybody. Time for another episode. Welcome back and happy 2021. I hope you all are doing well and hope things are off to a good start for you because that's what it's all about in 2021, everybody. Positive vibes only. We're going to keep that rolling here on the podcast too. So today I have Eric Long on from Longline Charters and the reason why I had Eric on is he recently undertook a project where he he purchased this boat, this affordable boat, 16 and a half foot crest liner um, with a 90 horse on it. And it wasn't running when he went to buy it, but he kind of took that opportunity because he likes to work on things. And I thought it was a great, you know, a great story for him to share with us of what he went through on the boat, what he was looking for. He kind of ripped up all the flooring and put new, new marine plywood down and, you know, just gave this thing a a big overall and i thought you know if if you're someone out there who was thinking about purchasing a boat this year i wanted to show you how um eric did it on a budget and he did it um very affordable what i what him and i believe is a very reasonable price and at the end he kind of tells you how much you would have into it to get a similar setup so if you're in the market for a boat and you don't want to spend a bunch of money right now but you still want to get out on the water in a reliable vessel. Kind of listen to what Eric goes through here um, and talks about what he looked for in the boat before he purchased and some of the things you might want to do to it to get it in tip-top shape before you bring it on in the water. So I hope this inspires you to get out there, purchase that boat, don't spend a bunch of money, and uh, you'll be able to stay safe on the water. So without any further ado, here is Eric. So you just got back from Florida. How was that? No, it's good. It was real good. Had uh, yeah, a little bit of fishing, a little bit of sunshine, getting the rain, so that's a bonus. Is that something you guys do every year? Uh, I usually try to go a few times every winter. Oh, a few times. January and March-ish. Nice. Just to get away. You're not much of an ice angler or what? 
No, I pretty much <laughs> sold all my ice fishing tackle, and I just use it for plane tickets now. Oh, nice, nice. So what did you guys get into down there? Like, what do you typically target? Um, well, I went to a different spot. I just found the Keys, but we just kind of flew in the Fort Myers area. Actually, Puta Gorda, I believe it was, but we uh, ended up staying in Fort Myers. And they got the red tide going on, so anything inshore was pretty much a bust. With that, it's like an algae bloom from, you know, related to fertilizer and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But, yeah, so we didn't do anything inshore. We were in a skiff one day, and then I uh, went out with a buddy on Wednesday. We went offshore. We, I think we were about 50 miles out. We went out to a old radio tower, and it was pretty much any, you know, you drop it for a minute, and you got a, either a cobia, a shark, or a amberjack on. So it was pretty cool. That's wild, man. I've, I've never done um you know deep water saltwater fishing before it's definitely something yeah I it was fun we went out to it was like a man-made wreck first at like 30 feet of water and we caught some uh some mangroves and bait basically and then so we yeah, we, we, we eat them you know the mangrove snappers so we got those for dinner and then uh i caught a little uh what did i catch i don't remember but basically blue runners and uh grunts is what we use for live bait okay you know, further out. Oh, I caught a bonita too. Sorry. Wow. So bonita is like basically it's like a they call it the poor man's tuna, but it's basically shark bait for the most part. Or you chunk it up for you know chunk bait. Oh, okay. It's a different, definitely different style of fishing down there, and a little bit different than the you know Lake St. Clair walleye and perch and yeah, everything, it's right? So much easier. It's like it's Michigan. It's like you can get off on you know basically any boat you want. You, know, you can buy a. You know, a one thousand dollar beetle, you can get out and you can catch some fish if you have the right equipment. And saltwater, it's like the opposite. Like good equipment helps, obviously, but it you need the boat. So it's like a complete opposite. So you know, a roll reversal to get offshore. Yeah, to get to where you want to get to safely. Yeah, because like I mean, like if you know what you're doing around here, you can pretty much if you got, you know, the right tackle, you don't really need the best boat to go get what you're going to get around here but you need a really good boat to go offshore i mean we were 60 miles offshore there's no one's going to help us right yeah man that's wild that's a hike that's for sure yeah i mean it's cool though because the fish they're kind of untouched so you know these fish are they're basically eating anything you know like i was dinking around with some soft plastics and then you know white tackle so basically you know there's a you know there's other people on the boat, obviously. So they were using, there's a big rod and a hundred pound test. And you basically crank them in and, uh, the, you pretty much need it once because there's bull sharks out there. Once the bull sharks get fired up, they basically go steal all your fish. Oh, so Jesus. yeah, I was trying with some like 40, 50 pound braids and, uh, the drag tightened all the way down, you know, got 30 pounds of drag and you can, you'll get the fish off the bottom. You'll get them up, and then as soon as they get tired, they get sharked. Oh, Jesus. So after, like, I don't know, five or six of those, I gave up. You know, I was just feeding the fish at that point. Man, I tell you what. But so, it's fun to pull on. Saltwater is, is an area that, you know, I mean, it's probably just a, like, where do you begin kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's just so many different species, so many, so vast of ways of fishing down there. It's wild well it's a different yeah and it's it's called it's like saltwater fishing like we go out here we're going walleye fishing we're going musky fishing like right. you go saltwater fishing right you're going fishing and it's you know the fish dictate what what you're going to fish for pretty much exactly basis, which is cool you just like you're going off fishing and you're like i don't know what i'm gonna guess what's another day goes you know right well cool well, hey man how was your season this year 
Um, it was good. Um, overall, it was good. I mean, we were down, you know, the previous year, but I mean, I think everybody was down. But so we uh, we were shut down on the start of our season, the May seventh, I believe it was. So right. we lost, you know, five weeks of trips. And I, you know, and our guy working with me. So I think it was about sixty to seventy trips that we didn't do in that time period, which was unfortunate. But well, you know, the, the we lockdown happened up, right right at the beginning of the the run, didn't it, of the river? Yeah, I mean, like the weather. It was it was I mean, it was such a crappy year. The uh, the weather was great. So our, my boat was in, I believe, right around March fifteenth. So I was in the well in Detroit River in my marina, March fifteenth, free fishing and having a blast and then it shut down to the point where we couldn't do charters but we could still fish okay so then i was like you know doing all taking all my buddies out and the girlfriend we were going down there and we were having fun and it you know we were going out and fishing and we could still go to canada at that point and then it went to the point where they shut down boating completely and when they did that they shut the border down and then once they opened it back up canada wasn't letting us go back and fish in canadian waters which you know, by the time they opened it back up, it's really good in Canada at that point. Right. And, you know, half the rivers in the Canadian side, and I would say 80% of the good fishing is on the Canadian side. So when you can't go access that water, it makes it a little bit tougher. But, I mean, we got enough U.S. spots that we stayed busy. But it was, uh, it was overall good. I mean, my May was better than last year May as far as business, but in a three-week window, but I mean, it was a totally different kind of fishing. You know, the jig bite kind of slows down in the May. We're right. getting a lot more crawler harness, bottom bouncing. And then all through June, it was either bottom bouncing, a little bit of jigging. And then we would troll out in the lake, which was real productive. But, you know, the jig bite just kind of, it'll turn off. It was, you know, usually about mid-May, late May, the water in Lake St. Clair starts, you know, clearing up. Yeah. And then that clear water just stays on the U.S. side, and that stained water will go down, you know, and follow the Canadian shoreline. So the jig bite just gets real tough. Well, and between that, that clean, and the silver you know, like bass, water. you know, get, keeping the silver yeah, bass I mean, on. Like yeah. You can, yeah, the silver bass, honestly, on the upper river, they're not that bad anymore. Okay. It, I would say in the last five years, the silver bass run, you know, per se, has not been on fire which is good right I mean, and you can typically get away from them you know like it, you know i'm a lot deeper you know starting mid-may all through june i typically jig i jig all the way to july I, you know i jig april to all the way into june but i'll just jig deeper you know typically if you just you know you start getting a little bit deeper you don't fish that typical you know shore break you're going to stay away from those bass i mean you'll catch them occasionally you can't get away from them but okay it's not like you're going to get like giant numbers of them those fish are going to be they like that slack water you know warm water discharges are going to be you know around there okay yeah so no big deal they're not bad but yeah i don't know it was a good year overall busy year a lot more trolling a lot less musky fishing a lot more bottom bouncing it was just it was different. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to do it all over again. But, right. Know, 2021, I would, well, hopefully uh, we can go to Canada and fish over there and kind of mix it up a little bit. Well, you know, a lot of people during the shutdown didn't realize like that when the governor shut everything down, the boat launches and everything, just how impactful because everyone was like oh you can just wait to fish another day they don't realize how many people rely on that as you know part of their business for chartering and things like well, that yeah i mean it's obviously a charter business and, right you know but just recreationally and your peace of mind to get out of water it's yeah. just weird and it's just being weird 
told you can't go use your boat in yeah. the middle of the lake. You know, it's just bizarre. I remember driving by so it, Detroit it, River in like, you know, April and I was just like dead. I'm like, whoa, this is yeah, super weird. Nobody, literally nobody. And it was funny <laughs> because I'm, I believe that the Canadians, even though they, we got shut down. Yeah. So we got shut down and I thought they were shut down too, or they couldn't, or if they were in the water already, they could go out. It was really weird because I think the, in Canada, they shut down all their boat launches yeah. to deter boating. But I know people were still going out because I think they already, some of the, you know, the Canadian fishermen had their boats and marinas and they were able to go use their boat then. Okay. So I know like, cause I remember seeing some posts, you know, on Facebook and Instagram and stuff where people I knew they were, you know, live in Canada, they were out fishing. Mm-hmm. So they must have been in the water. It was like a weird situation. I don't know. And even like Canada's locked down right now. I don't know if you know Ontario's on like a eight. They got an eight p.m. curfew and all oh, kinds of stuff. Shit. Yeah. So like yeah. So I. It's gonna be uh gonna be twenty twenty one. I don't anticipate Canada open anytime soon. So it's, I think it's gonna be a big, you know, twenty twenty all over again as far as our fishing industry. Right. I mean, I don't think they're gonna shut our boating down like they did before. Right. But. I don't think we're going to be crossing the border anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I guess just play where you can play, you know, stick to your sandbox. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of fish on the U.S. side, you know. Yeah. It's just, I like to, you know, it's fun, you know, like the people come from out of town. It's fun to put them on bigger fish, bigger numbers. And, right. You know, they, they book a charter that, you know, the fish waters that they can't fish every day. Yeah. And it does suck a little bit because there's only so many places you can go on the U.S. side and try to get away from people mm-hmm. when everybody's on one side of the river. So during the peak run, when everybody's down there, you know, through, you know, like, you know, it was a little bit later the last couple of years, I would say last week of April, first week of May, usually is when it seems like it's the best, you know, but basically when it was open this year, so you couldn't get away from anybody. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're on a charter and you can't, you can't find your own water. So you're right. just fishing next to everybody else, but yeah. it is what it is. You know, we're used to it. Right. Yeah. Everybody, once they find out who you are, they, you kind of get some uh, tailgaters anyway. So. I mean, yeah, but it's not a big deal, honestly. I, I, you know, I welcome it for the most part. You know, it's as long as you're just, you know, give every, you know, I, I give people space, give me space. I don't care. You know, as long as we're not literally playing bumper boats, I don't care. It's, right. it's always fun to chat to the person next to you. Yeah. I mean, it was a little bit different this year, like you said, and the water, the spots where the fish were holding were so small, so. You know, you could get on fish, and you know, like if you stay there too long, there's gonna because it just. Even if you're not catching fish, it just takes another boat to show up. And then the third boat shows up. And then they're like, why is there three boats over there? Okay, now there's four and there's five. And before you know it, you got 12 boats on a, you know, a 100-foot-long break that you're fishing, and then you got to move. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, so there was a lot of that this year, but it is what it is. You know, you're, you know, this Detroit River, you can't expect to have the water to yourself. Well, good, man. I'm, I'm glad you found a way to, you know thrive through the tough times and that's what i think a lot of businesses are doing no, no matter what industry you're in you're coming up with creative ways to keep it going and you know it was good to see you know it, it like you know you're the, you're one of the guys that has the same kind of story i've been running into and hearing from a lot of other dudes where it's like yeah it was different different numbers are down a little bit but you know overall they found a way to persevere and that's what it's yeah, all about man like yeah, the spring was down, but I can tell you we were busier every other month throughout the whole year. And we even did perch trips this year that we haven't done in the last four years, and they were productive. And even though we couldn't go to Canada, we uh, my diehard musky guys, I basically told them to just keep waiting, keep waiting, maybe they'll open it up. And I took a lot of uh, multi-species trips where actually I thought I actually like them better. They're more fun for me. 
pure U.S. waters, you know, we're trolling, we're catching musky bass, walleye, pike, and then like, you know, starting October, we were running bottom bouncers off the boat and getting perch as we go and just kind of catching everything. So it's kind of a cool little spread. It's lighter tackle. You know, you're fishing 10 to 15 pound test instead of 50 to 100. And uh, you just kind of catch everything and swim. So it's a little bit cooler and it's a little bit more productive for the, you know, the clients when they're out there, you know, musky fishing, like deer hunting, you just sit there until something happens. So. Right. <laughs> now, this time, but, yeah, it was fun. This time of year, I know a lot of guys are still getting out when they can, when the water temperatures warm back up. Do you do yeah, that at all? Or, or are you, or is, I do. Okay. Um, I actually been, uh, this fall, I've been kind of busy with some side projects and some side work working around the house. And like I said, I was so busy over the summer. I didn't get anything done. So I pulled the boat like mid November, everything was out back at the house. And, uh, I'd basically just been kind of getting caught up on stuff. I hadn't done all year. Okay. You know, had to build a deck around the house and then i i purchased that boat and i kind of worked on that yeah and now i'm kind of i'm working for a buddy doing a little bit of construction so like but all my buddies are out so it's frustrating you know like i got invited to fish saturday morning i got back from florida i didn't get home to, until about 11 i think it was and i was like man i just got it was 75 i'm sunny my love <laughs> i'm home it's 30 it's tough to get I, back out i gotta there. get up at five to go break ice i'm like st Clair. it's gonna be fun but i was like i don't know so i didn't go oh. I, so i could have fished yesterday but i started a, a side project today so now i'm you know a couple buddies fish today but it looks like it's kind of coming to an end the uh it's getting cold at night and if we keep on getting these uh windless nights it's gonna, it's gonna lock, lock up these up. marinas we're not gonna be yeah i you know like they're fishing out of blossom over there in lake st Clair, which is actually a private marina and uh typically they're not even open this late in the year but they left the gate open for the fishermen and then um you know erie that's pretty much the two things they can't even fish saginaw because it's all locked up up there yeah yeah it's gonna start expanding outwards and everyone's waiting for that yeah to it's up. i would say it's any day that's surprised it's uh but Weird winter. I don't know. I think the last four years, I think I fished in February. It seems like in Lake Erie. So time will it's tell. It's not that surprising, I guess. Yeah, here in Ohio, it seems like it's always open in February. Everybody's out there. Oh yeah. So it's. Uh, I think it's going to be another year where we'll probably be fishing February or March. You know, here in Ohio. Well, that's good, man. Because you know, I think a big reason why I wanted you on the podcast today was I think this year has been a little bit different for everybody and. Um, you know, I follow you on Instagram and, you know, keep in touch and all that kind of stuff. And I found it interesting that, uh, you took on this project as, um, the, this boat that you bought, which I want to get into and talk about, but I, I felt like the story was fitting because there might be that angler out there that was hoping to get a boat this year. Or maybe they're, you know, due to COVID that, you know, maybe they're saving back on their income or they just didn't want to pull the trigger on a big expensive boat. So, you know, but guys who might not have a boat or gals might not have a boat can still get out on the water. Can you kind of walk us through why you bought the boat you did? And if you don't mind, I mean, you put it on Instagram, sharing the price and kind of like what you looked at when buying a boat. So I, I'm always kind of shopping the market for a upgrade or whatever, you know, and I come across deals every now and then because I already have two boats. You know, I got a 23 foot center console. My brother's fishing with us now and he has a 23 foot center console and I have my 31. So I don't really need another boat, but I live around, you know, 20 lakes within 10 miles of my house. So I live in Brandon Township and I'm like almost every other place in 
feet of Michigan, you can drive 15 minutes to be at a lake. And it's something, it's not super feasible to bring a big boat there all the time. And, you know, once I bring the 23 foot, it's always in the garage by the time I get it out. But I'm always looking for something that I can actually use or the girlfriend can hook up to her Subaru and use a 16 to 17 foot aluminum boat. You can pretty much take anywhere, be safe and almost tow with anything. So I actually found it on Facebook marketplace. It seems like that's kind of the, the place to be right now. It was non running that it ran, you know, and the guy wanted like $3,000 for it. So I figured I'd go look at it. Can you let the listeners know what kind of boat it is year uh, and all that kind of stuff? So, yeah. So at this, what is it? It's a 2002, I believe. I don't have the number in front of me, but 2002 Crestliner 1650. It's like a Fishhawk model. So basically they have it in a couple different ones, but this is a side console with a head of 90 horse uh, Johnson on the back. Okay. So you kind of look for that that um, option to be able to go in any lake. It's light to pull with vehicles. It's it, you could launch it by yourself and you know trailer it by yourself for the most part. And really, it's just kind of like a running gun, ready to go anytime you're or the weather allows or you got some time off or whatever. Yeah, and originally, I mean, I saw it. It looked like it was in decent shape. Uh, the trailer was in good shape. Talked to the guys, you know, on the phone. He seemed like a good guy. So then I get to drive. The boat was in a fishy location. You know, he kept the boat in Wyandotte. You know, basically, he only fished out of Trenton. You know, I think it had, like, four, the last four or five years, of, you know, the Trenton. Uh, I think one of the, I can't remember which boat launched, but right down there. It might have been uh, Lake Erie Metro. I'm not sure. But they had all the stickers on there. So, the guy fished it. I mean, the boat's been used, but it was just a river boat. Okay. Did he say why he but was yeah, selling everything it? everything was in good shape. What's that? Did he say why he was selling it? Just curious. He's actually moving. The guy was moving to Florida. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a good reason. Yeah, so I actually, uh, I found it on there, and uh, it's, I don't know, you've probably seen it too. Everybody's inflated everything. Anything recreational right now is through the roof. Right. You know, dirt bikes, campers, quads, and boats. It's not, they're out of control. So everything's like 30, 40% more. It's out of, it makes no sense, but it is. Okay. So everything, the use market's hard. So I found this, it was $3,000. I told him I'd pay asking. I got there, the boat was in decent shape. It had a cover on it. Um, he had all the electronics pulled off it. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, I hate when I do that, but we'll, we'll talk to him about that when the time comes. But <laughs> so I ended up getting the electronics thrown in and got everything going. And, uh, this one, it was kind of, usually I like to check the compression, check for sparks, stuff like that. Cause I've got, I probably had like maybe 15 boats in my life. So I, I kind of, and I've bought boats just to flip. And this actually was going to be a boat to flip. And I probably will keep it for at least a season. I've been kind of talking to keeping it. So I'm going to probably keep it. But, you know, the, uh, it seemed like everything was there. Everything was intact. It wasn't missing anything. So, you know, like you get that. You can, once you look at something, you're like, all right, I mean, they're going to buy it or I'm not, you know, if you don't get that feeling, like it's well taken care of, just walk away. Right. What, if you don't mind sharing just with some of the listeners, this could be someone listening who's never bought a boat for, you know, boat before. What are some things that you can check as you just walk around the sides? Maybe talk about, you know, how you check the transom to make sure there's no transom rot, um, what to look for on the trailer, maybe just some point, some key points along, you know, the gunnels or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, just look at it. It's no different looking at a car. If it's beat up, you don't want it. You know, it's, if it looks like it's been well taken care of, like this one was weathered. Obviously, it was weathered. The uh, interior needed to be completely gutted and replaced, but the, the boat itself is fine. It's a welded boat. 
So I always do, I always do a little bit of research on it before I go buy it. Just Google it. You can look at a review, something that was like, so this was a 2002. Just look at like, you know, just Google it and you'll be able to read about the reviews in 2002. Gotcha. You know? It's all on there. But this is a well, so I know it's a fully welded boat at this point. I know there's no wood on it other than the deck and the transom. Okay. So I know the transom's got wood backing and the deck's wood. But the boat itself, I did a walk around. There's no dock rash on it. It had a troll motor on the 90 Johnson's, like, bent-looking. Uh, it did have a new lower end, so, you know, I talked to him. He said he, he said he hit a rock with it, so he ended up getting a new one. So the lower end had low hours on it. Brand-new prop. Pulled the cow off. Everything looked good. There's no rust in there. There's no oil anywhere. Everything looks good. But I did notice at that point, usually, like, I pumped the ball on it. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm getting fuel leaking. So I know there's an issue at that point with the fuel issue. And he said it ran, but there's no way it's going to run if it's not holding prime. You know, I right. could pump the ball and just kept, it just got that pump fuel. And so I figured I already knew I had an issue with the fuel at that point. So I know that. And then, uh, basically just look at the trailer, you know, look at your bunks. You can tell if it's been used a lot and then check out your tires and your bearings. So this guy, uh, and then I was talking, I always ask what the owner, what they do. Okay. And this guy was an engineer. So, oh. so it's like, all right, all right, you're not like, you don't work at like the bar or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you're, he, this guy's an engineer. Right. He like, he worked at the GM proving grounds. And then like, I just knew he was meticulous, he was meticulous about everything. Okay. And he's transferring to Florida. He's doing something down there. So he was like a contract worker up here. So I knew like he, I could just tell he took care of it. So, and then you just kind of go from there, you know? And then like, I like the, uh, I have a price in my head. You know, I, I told him I'd pay three. But, uh, you know, I ended up getting the electronics thrown into that, which it had a brand new Helix 9 and a Helix 5 that he pulled off. So I got all of that. Wow. The rod holders and, uh, you know, just like the miscellaneous loading stuff that came up there. Now you posted. Yeah, so I ended up. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I ended up negotiating a good package deal on it. So basically it had a new tires, the trailer's been well taken care of, and then I got a boat that's a good starting shell with, you know, probably $1,500, I would assume, of electronics that he bought in 2020 or 2019. So, yeah. end of 2020. It was basically brand new. Hell, yeah. Now, when you, I'm looking on Instagram here. It says, when we purchased it non-running for $3,000, that, was that just the fuel line with the the motor for it non-running? Is that what you mean? So, I ended up, well, I needed, yeah. He, I didn't run it. He said it ran, but I knew it wasn't going to run with that. So, okay. I was like, but he hasn't ran it. The last time he used it, he said it worked, but he hasn't used it for a year at that point okay. because of COVID, he never even put it in the water. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So it just sat there. So ended up happening. There's like a, I think it's called a vapor separator. So, and I'm decently familiar with mechanical stuff and I can basically fix it. If I, that's another thing you want to budget. Like if you can't work on something, you don't want to buy something that doesn't run. I can tell you that. Okay. If you want to buy a boat and you can't physically work on it and fix it yourself, and it doesn't run when you buy it, you probably shouldn't buy it. Okay. I can tell you that right now. That's a no-no. Unless you know, you know the person personally or you know it's going to be an easy fix. But if you can't drive the boat in the water and hear it run, I would walk away. Okay. If you can't fix it yourself. So I knew there was going to be an issue. So I basically, I think for sure it was leaking fuel out of it. It was, it was the vapor separator. So basically you prime it, it goes into the motor. There's a, it has, this is a four cylinder motor. So I got four carbs, 
and I got a, you know, a central vapor separator. It's basically a float bowl, and then like the, the carbs draw from this central float bowl, right. and it's leaking out of that. Okay. So I basically once I got it home, you know, I uh, I did a compression check on it. I had great compression in all four cylinders, so I knew that. I knew it had spark, and then so I knew it would run, and it wasn't anything big. So. I kind of put the motor at a little bit of a back burner and I started working on some stuff. And before I got everything yanked out, I ended up working on the motor and getting that running. So basically I rebuilt that few, that vapor separator with gaskets. Cause it ended up just being an O-ring gasket that failed. It okay. was dried out. Rot, dry yeah, rot. Fast, that's another thing. Like, yeah, it wasn't dry rot, but it shrunk. So okay. he must, uh, he must've ran it dry out of fuel or whatever, or the fuel evaporated out and, uh, the rubber O-ring ended up shrinking and it let fuel come out. So replace that. And then I pulled the carps off and cleaned out the, you know, they were all actually really good. Basically cleaned out the, the bowls on those and make sure everything was good. It's good to go. You know, cross my fingers. I took for one sea trial, but I mean, I was out on the water for about a half hour and it seemed to, everything worked pretty good. So okay. no big deal. But the only thing, you know, it's an oil injection system. So it's like this VRO pump. So that's another thing you want to make sure is working too so there's tests to do on that whatever but you gotta make sure it's it's injecting the oil okay all right so someone again in your shoes buys the boat let's say they like it um you get this thing home and then i'm scrolling through the next couple photos here you obviously ripped up the deck everything on the inside uh complete for the most part gut job of just the standing deck is that correct yeah, basically. Yeah, I didn't okay. replace anything internal, but yeah, I, and I keep everything. So I, the hard, honestly, the hardest part is taking out the deck, okay. finding all the screws and hardware, and keeping it in one piece because you want it for a template. Right. So and a lot of stuff is so so far gone, you can't even walk on it. So and then there, you know, it's, it's like surgical taking apart. So make sure you keep it all for a template, and you know, that's the big thing. Yeah, so make sure you know how to put it back together. Right. So anybody listening to this, if you go on his Instagram, which is Longline Charters or at Longline Charters on Instagram, you can scroll down and kind of see what we're talking about. And what he's saying is like a puzzle. So if you were going to dismantle a puzzle and you wanted to put it back together later, you got you got to kind of know where the chunks and the pieces all fit and use it as a template to trace for your next uh, outline of board that you're going to lay down. Which yep, yeah, just take pictures, right? Save everything, you know. Um, so being on the market nowadays, what do you recommend? Just do you put in like a marine plywood in there or is there anything special that you would so recommend putting yeah, in? Yeah, like that's the only thing I would put in. I mean, if it's going to be exposed to water, you need marine plywood. So you have, you honestly, they, they make womanized wood. You do not want to put that in an aluminum boat. They have uh, chemicals in there. I think one being copper is used in a lot of the womanized wood that okay. like you would see for ground contact wood, you know, like, cause it's cheaper. It's, it's like 40% cheaper to buy womanized wood right. or green board and put it in there. Um, you don't want it. It, uh, it'll react with the aluminum. It'll be really corrosive uh, to the point where I've seen it where bottom of the whole boat hauls have pinholes in them and the boat just completely corrodes away from the inside out oh. because yeah, because it's got that aluminum and that green board. You just cannot touch it. So you can do, you got to do marine grade plywood, which does kind of suck because you got to budget that. It's about 80 bucks a sheet. Okay. And that boat was 16 and a half foot long to redo the entire interior. It took four sheets. Four it was sheets. like three and one piece, which okay. is unfortunate. So, yeah, so that, I mean, that's, 
three sheet or four sheets at eighty bucks a piece. Now, how do you determine the thickness of that that you buy it in, or does it only come in one thickness? No, you can get it in anything from quarter all the way up to I believe five or three quarter. Okay. So it originally had five eight. Okay. And uh, nobody carries five eight stock, so I ended up getting it through Menards. It's three quarter inch marine. And it, I mean, it's a little bit thicker actually than the stock, but it's not that noticeable. And the way all your compartments fit, it doesn't, you know, they fit off, a, you know, they make it so they fit fine. So it's not a big deal. All but right. it's, uh, just measure it. You know, it comes in everything from quarter inch, I believe up to three quarters. Okay. So you get this stuff off, the boat's exposed. You can kind of see the, the floor, um, you know, all the foam that's in there, all that kind of stuff. What now? Before folks start to think about you know replacing and putting it back together, what would be a good time at this point to look for, um, or maybe to even think about replacing? Is there anything else like any kind of wiring that's being ran or the? Oh yeah, well you'll see it because a used boat is going to be. Here's the deal: is like there's no boat that's never been untouched. Mm-hmm. So a used boat, and especially if you're getting one at a discount, if you're getting one not running or a deal. It's going to be hacked up. I guarantee it. Somebody wires some stuff in there, and it's not going to be correct. Gotcha. So this is the time to fix it. So like my boat, the uh, had a extra had a bilge pump that was replaced, okay. and it was wired like crap. So I fixed that, and I took this time because you can get to it. Because I had to pull up fuel tanks, I got everything out. So I'm just I can just access the bilge. It's like I can just reach in there. So I actually added a secondary bilge, auto bilge in there that's wired in completely separate. So now I have two bilges in there. Because anybody who's fished big water, like I fish typically, the smallest body of water I fish typically is Lake St. Clair. So we're never, you really need to be self-sufficient. So you kind of put some extras in there. And I always thought maybe if I didn't did want a charter certified, I got to have a, you know, I got to have a secondary build. Gotcha. But yeah, I do that. And then you kind of like figure out what you, if you're going to keep the boat, what do you want to do to the boat? So this is the time to run your wires, run any kind of hoses, do anything you want to do now, just at least lay it in there because doing it after is a nightmare. Right. Yeah. This is when you guys can get custom. If you want to run wiring for uh, led lighting inside or anything like that, this is when you can kind of make it fancy. If you're going to keep the boat for a few years or kind of like what you did, because even if you want to upgrade a boat and let's say you want to go glass one day or get the center console, like you did, it's always great to have these kind of boats in your back pocket for, whatever spur of the moment trips, maybe buzzing across state to do smaller inland bodies of water. Um, and then when you only pay $3,000 for it, it almost is like, I don't want to sell it because it's cheap. Yeah, it's paid like, for. Uh, yeah. Like my girlfriend was talking to keep it. I was like, well, I guess I don't want to do it. So it's like, right. but yeah, and it wires cheap. So, I mean, I always just go on Amazon or eBay or even, you know, you can go to your local heart, you know, marine store or even, uh, you know, auto store and just buy a hundred feet of wire. Okay. You know, and then just run it, you know, run it for your speaker, run it for your, your lighting, run it for power. You can need power up front for a fish finder. You know, you're going to want, and then like, you're going to want to put like a cigarette lighter somewhere so you can, you know, you can charge your cell phone. Just, just run the wire. You don't have to install it now, but at least put it so you know where it's at. So you can just install what you want later. Gotcha. Cause it's just a pain in the butt. And like, I, uh, I kind of, at that point, I'm like, man, I don't have much money into it. Maybe I'll keep it. So I did some stuff that, like, if I'm going to keep it, I'm going to want to have. So, like, I ran additional uh, wiring to the rear. So I got two-gauge wire going from the front trolling motor batteries all the way to the rear kicker bracket that I installed. Okay. Because in case I want a back troll, 
I can mount, you know, like a Minko Advantage or something on the back and have a troll motor where I can back troll if I want to put an electric troll motor back right. there. I could transom mount. And then I, it was a 24, actually it was a 12 volt bow mount on a Minkota originally when I bought it. So I ended up tearing out all the, you know, the compartment up there. When I redid it, I put three troll motor bracket or three troll motor battery brackets up there. And I have it, I have a backup Corova for my big boat. And I basically, I set it up to use that 36 volt Tarova. So, I mean, like if I want to, I could troll with the bow mount now on that boat. I mean, like right. literally I got a hundred and some pound thrust bow mount, you know, 60 inch Tarova on the front of the boat now. So, I mean, I got like huge overkill and then I ran wire to the back where I actually put a gas kicker now. So now I have a secondary, I picked up a, a seven horse Evinrude. So now I have a, a four, you know, a seven horse four stroke Evinrude wire plumbed into it so i have that too okay so how do you run your gas line for that is that just do you, do you carry a separate it, tank for it, that it's or? easy because it's uh oil and jack so there's two ways to do it like these older motors they're a lot of them are oil injected even the new ones but the older two strokes are oil injected yeah. and they're relatively foolproof but when they fail it's bad so i i went back and forth because uh if you're not gonna you can tee off your line if you have oil injected because it's going to be you know it's it's not mixed fuel at right. that point and you can run a four-stroke kicker and it's always nicer to run a four-stroke kicker if you want to do any slow trolling or hand lining where you're pulling wire you just need that you don't need to be going full throttle and it's who and then what's the point of putting a kicker on if you got a troll with a two-stroke so right. the uh so i haven't i end up keeping that vro system and i have a just a t off it for a four-stroke kicker okay just a tiller kicker all right well, that's, you know, like you were saying earlier too, with your, your bow mount, you know, going over, it's okay to go overboard on your trolling motor because if the guys don't want to grab a kicker off the back on a 16 foot boat, you can troll all day with that, that bow mount and yeah. off the, off the front and be just fine too. Yeah. Especially the trolling to this boat, especially when this boat's going to be due mm-hmm. for me, this boat's probably going to be like a March boat where I want to go up to St. Clair river, right, you know, right on post thaw or go to Lake St. Clair, or, you know, Detroit river, you know, early, early in the season when I'm not going to want to drag my other boat out because I'm just going to be trailing it back and forth. And I usually like to just leave it in the marina. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be that kind of boat. So it's nice to have, you know, like really good trolling water and they're going to be trolling slow, you know, one to two miles an hour. It'll do that all day. Mm-hmm. Or I can use the kicker now. So it's, and I'm going to be fishing cold water and I'm not, you know, it's another backup plan too. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's all about safety too. You want to be self-sufficient. You cannot depend on anybody out there. Cause I, I mean, I've been out on Lake Erie in February with some buddies out of here on Ohio, literally the only boat launched and we try to come back in. It's getting dark. Wind changed direction. Now we have a mile long stretch of ice. That's 50 yards wide blocking the marina. I can't even get in. Oh, so you're like, you got that old crap moment where you're like, man, nobody's here to help me. I'm by myself. What are you going to do? Right. So, I mean, we ended up going down about a mile and, you know, we were able to get through this little like iceberg field, you know, cruise up the shoreline and get in the arena. But it was like, man, your heart sank for a minute. You're like, man, am I sleeping at Lake Erie tonight? You know, it's February. Yeah. It's <laughs> a bad feeling. <laughs> I know. You're like, do I call the Coast Guard or do I just drop my anchor and I take a nap? You yeah. know, it's just, man, what the heck? Shit. But, uh, yeah, I always like to be self-sufficient. So I got a kicker, it's a backup, mm-hmm. and that troll motor's overkill. You know, like, 
I know if my motors don't work, I could probably troll 10 miles on that kicker or on that trolling motor and right. I get back to shore if I had to. Yeah. So, and it's going to be used in the fall. So it'd be like right now, everybody's out there breaking ice, going out there and fishing Lake St. Clair, Saginaw Bay, you know, typically it's not right now, but then Erie and you want to, you want a boat that's going to be reliable and you know, you're going to get back in. You don't have to worry about sinking to the bottom and maybe losing your life or getting hurt or whatever. You know, you just can't depend on anybody. And it's a 2002. So, I mean, granted, the motor's probably got low hours, but it's a 2002 Johnson. Uh, it might fail. You never know. Right. So, so, so you piece this thing back together. Um, what are some options that you kind of ran through your head when it came to uh, covering that marine plywood? Like, some guys go with, you know, just the marine carpet that you put down. Um, there's different types of materials. What made you choose what you did choose? Um, I like the vinyl, I'll be honest with you. Okay. But I have three dogs. Okay. So my, I, I had a boat probably 10 years ago that had vinyl and it was nice, but my dog did damage it a little bit with their nails and, uh, it's nice, but it's honestly, and it's super slippery. I don't know if you've ever been on a vinyl, like a lawn or whatever, a crest liner, you know, they got that vinyl down there and you got a couple of fish sli- flying around on the ground down there and you try to walk. It's like ice on that vinyl. Well, even like right so, now in February, you bring a fish in yeah. and that that water hardens there because it's still 25 degrees out, 30 degrees out. Yeah. You know, that it's like a skating rink in there. Yeah. So, you know, and it's nice because you can clean it good, but it has some downfalls too. So I ended up going back with carpet. Okay. It's just a little more stable, a little more comfortable. Honestly, the boat's probably not going to get used a ton. You know, it's got marine carpet in there over marine plywood. And it's probably just going to be on some of the local lakes and then take it up to the St. Clair River in the fall. So I think it's okay. It's going to be bouncing around, have a couple dogs in there, you know, just hanging out for the most part. But it's I set it up for some fun fishing too, though. So. Cool. So you piece this thing back together, you wrap it in carpet. Um, what were some other finishing touches? Anything else? Or is that after that it was pretty much ready to go? I was pretty much ready to go. I saved as much hardware as I could. I had to get a couple new seat bases because they were corroded pretty bad and they, uh, the bushings were gone in there. So I got some of those. Everything seemed to kind of fall in place pretty well. I mean, I had to buy, you know, you're going to end up buying a decent amount of stainless hardware. You can't save a lot of it. It just is what it is. Like when they put these boats together, it's, they're, they're, it's all about speed and production. So when they put these screws on, half of them are stripped out already. You know what I mean? Like they rip them in, they screw them into the self tappers and the into the aluminum floor. You know, this into the stringers, and then with the you can tell they like zipped it right through it. You know, so like a lot of stuff you can't save. So this budget for wood, you're gonna have to budget for hardware, and the carpet's not cheap. It was about two hundred dollars in carpet to do it, marine plywood okay. or marine carpet. So okay. it's rubber back carpet that you know for the most part is waterproof so you don't get a whole lot of water getting out of that wood yeah. and it's all glued so uh, everything's glued down too so you got to have glue what kind of glue did you use for that uh it's i can't remember the name of it it's, it's made for it okay so uh yeah like when you, i bought the carpet from a marine carpet supplier and whatever glue they recommended, I actually bought it on Amazon. It was cheaper to buy it on Amazon. Okay. So it was about $25 for a gallon of it. And that was enough to do the whole boat. Okay. I would say anything bigger than 17 foot, you're going to need another one. But I had just enough to do it, my boat 
you want you be pretty liberal with it. You don't want to have just you want to have a lot of that glue because that glue acts as a moisture barrier too. So it's going to stick the carpet down and it's going to seal the wood. Okay. Do you just kind of paint it on there with like a brush, like a stain brush? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, you want to use a uh, beard and tile. Yeah. Yep. So tile, there's a tile, the trowel's on a tile. Yeah. Okay. We have that little notching in there. Yep. So it's, it's just like that, but in a, a smaller version. So okay. you just get a notching trowel and you just trowel it on. So you have a nice smooth surface over there, you know, it's, and then you just wrap it around and you staple the backside. You just buy some stainless staples. I have a pneumatic stapler and I just zip them in and, you know, it's just like doing a pull street. It's pretty fast, actually, once you get into it. After you get every, you know, but I did test fit everything. So that's everything. We should probably back up. So after you get all that stuff cut, it's not going to fit. I guarantee it. Even though you trace the templates, because uh, if you're putting new wood down, your wood, that you're taking out is not going to be great. So you can trace it as best you can, but I got it all in there and I did require some trimming. Everything is not perfect. So you got to trim all your compartments out and stuff like that. And get everything in. Okay. And then after you test fit it all, then you start wrapping it. Cause that carpet's going to add some gap too. So you gotta, you gotta account for the thickness of the carpet. Okay. And then how to fasten it down. You just buy the self-tapping screws again to go into the aluminum? Yeah, I was able to probably use 50% of them. Okay. So that I had, that was enough to get the main deck down. And then the upper deck, once I got everything, the compartments bolted to the lower deck. And I ended up just buying, you know, some two-inch self-tapper stainless. Okay. They're like a pan head screw, basically. Yep. And uh, you just pre-drill your wood. And then uh, you just drill them in and it'll go. It's not, it's pretty easy. So what did you do when it came to like the whole positioning from the prior wood that you pulled up? Did you just kind of move over an inch or two and then just to find fresh aluminum to drill into? Yeah. I mean, like, here's the deal. So you don't, I don't, you can't find the exact hole. It's like impossible. So like, I know that where the stringers are and I mark okay. those on the side of the boat. Okay. So basically like I'll mark each stringer where they come up to the side of the boat and I just put a little mark there with the marker. Yeah. So when I put the panel on, I can lay a straight edge across and I know exactly where that strength is. Yeah. So anybody listening, so it's, a, it's like a hitting the floor joist. Yeah, that's all it is. Yep. All you're doing is sheeting the floor and, uh, but it's not like everything's 16 inch on center. So you got to mark it. Yes, why you lay that it. panel down, you have no clue with that. Okay. And you got to have a certain amount of support in there. That's structural too. You know, even though that, it's got welded in stringers and all everything's aluminum and everything's it's all foam still underneath that wood on top still going to add some rigidity to the boat. So you want to have it secured properly. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Um, I'm asking a lot of questions cause I'm thinking about redoing. No, you're good. Yeah. I'm thinking about redoing absolutely. my boat too. And I'm hoping anybody listening, this will be <laughs> beneficial to them too, because right now is the time to do it. Not, you know, not a week before the boat launches open back up and you can get back out on the water. So you want consider doing it right now. Um, yeah. And it's funny cause I, and I did it pretty quick. Like even the, the stuff I posted on Instagram, like I was actually done with the boat probably a week before the last post even okay so it actually went pretty quick this is something that you could probably do if you really busted your hump in a long weekend you could probably do it friday saturday sunday okay i realistically this is probably six days worth of work everything that i'm talking about even with the upgrades 
here's a question. You know, and, and not even not even full days, you know, just kind of easier time. So. Another thing guys want to, you know, think of, I can just think of my boat that I've got right now, my Lund. Um, it's an older boat. It's a 94. And one thing I freaking hate that they put on there was the plastic latches because they would get really dry rotted. And if you like stepped on them, they would become really brittle. And then you can't pick up the compartment anymore because the handle <laughs> that you get your finger underneath to pop it open is now gone. Oh, yeah. So yeah, what did you, you replace your latch right handles now. with? What's that? Well, the front handles for the latches were all still good. They're actually plastic. So oh, wow. They You're were, lucky. Uh, yeah, the boat was well. I'm telling you, the boat was really well taken care of. It was actually covered a lot. But I think what happened is that cover never got aired out. It just held moisture. Because there was actually mold, like, growing in moss, growing on the carpet when I bought it. Oh, shit. So it just it was just, like, festering water in there, you know, like moisture. But uh, it, I don't think it had a lot of sun damage. So the, all the plastic on this was in good shape. I could reuse it. But you can replace anything you want with with stainless. Right. It's super easy. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly easier to put the round stainless stuff in because mine was oval. So I had to drill like two round holes and then cut it over with a jigsaw. So it just added work, you know. Mm-hmm. You could just put a single round latch in there. It's super easy. Just one hole saw drill and be done. The other thing that they did too was they would rivet it in there. So now you can just kind of screw it down <laughs> yeah. into the plywood, which is nice because then you can replace it a lot easier than trying to get a rivet out but yeah yeah for sure and then like not all my compartments I had to replace so that's another thing like it like my live well covers the rod holders cover and everything's aluminum so it, so this had some nice features but now it's like i so i didn't even carpet those i there i kept it stock carpet i cleaned it up okay you can't really you can tell it's a little bit different but there's i got what i found out is looking at carpet there's only so many colors they make there's about like seven or eight marine colors that are available, and that's about it. So like, you just got to pick the one that's closest to yours. Do they still so have the old real bad? Like, do, do, do they still have the old Lund red color from the nineties? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They got this, like these terrible red like yeah. burgundy things and the greens. And, like the boat covers yeah. are terrible. There's like you can get like I, I honestly, if I was doing the boat, it would be black or charcoal. Okay. Most likely charcoal. Right. And uh, wax is going to hold too much heat. So like a nice charcoal, and then you can hide some stuff in there. It doesn't stain terribly. But this one was like a beige color. Mm. And like the boat, I didn't want to redo all the carpet because the sides of the boat were all, you know, carpeted. The live wells were carpeted. The backside of the council was carpeted. There was stuff I didn't need to replace that was still good. So I didn't want to get a completely different color and have to change everything so that helps with your budget too if you if not all of your carpet's gone you can just replace sections and like i said there's only so many colors so like this beige was the same beige that you know it's the same color right. it matches perfectly how was uh anything you did differently with the council um at the helm or anything like that that was all good did you have to maneuver anything everything yeah the council was it's a mo- it was you know, my council on this was like a molded piece. Okay. So basically it was like a fiberglass and aluminum molded piece. Um, the windshield was broken when I got it. So it attaches with three quick releases. The third quick release on the inside, it must have been from the tarp being on and over the winter, the pressure. It cracked the uh, Lexan window. So what I did is I ended up just cutting off that like three inches. I rounded it over and I was able to re-drill in the Lexan and move the latch over. So it actually, you can't even tell. So everything's mounted on there again, so I didn't have to replace the windshield. So, I mean, if you can modify it re- instead of replacing stuff or just fix the stuff, it saves you a ton of money. Here's a question. I don't know if it's a tip or not, but 
I can't, I'm kind of curious to see what you do, or maybe think of someone who's less experienced than you are. Would you recommend doing one panel section at a time? So like if you're, if you're up on the deck and you're up on the bow and you take that one apart, would it be wise to cut that piece, make sure it fits and then move on to the next one? So that way you don't tear everything apart and then you're kind of overwhelmed and you forget where shit goes or how it was mounted, all that kind of stuff. Well, I would say you could do that, but I think the only thing that you would encounter is, so you're, you're taking it apart and then you're testing it, redoing that panel, testing it, make sure it fits and then moving on to the next one. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you put it back together, you're going to be putting it together the opposite way. So unless everything got put together exactly the same from the bottom up, oh, okay. it's not going to fit properly. Okay. So it'll fit close. Like when I, I, when I cut all my templates out, I, I laid it on there and it was like 90% done. But I can tell you, like, the back panel, I had to cut almost an inch off it on one side. And then some other stuff. And then all every compartment that I cut out that I traced, I had to open up. Okay. Or the doors wouldn't fit in. So I would say you could try that, but I think you would encounter problems when you... Because once you tear off the top deck, mm-hmm. you got all these vertical supports going to the bottom deck. Okay. And once you replace that panel and you carpet it, you have no clue where that thing went. Okay. You know, you can, you have an idea where it went, but it's not going to be the same spot. I guarantee it. So then uh, you might encounter a, per, a problem when you get the top deck on, it's not going to fit like it, like it did before. You know what I mean? I got you. So, so I did, what I did is I, I made the whole thing. I test fit it dry with no, with no carpet on. And I basically started at the back of the boat and I got the bottom done and I worked my way forward. Got the whole top deck screwed to the bottom. Then they got the bottom and the rear deck screwed to the bottom, got all the live wells in, all the stuff, and then I started to test fit the, the uppers. Okay. And once I got all those test fit, I just worked my way around the boat periodically. Every panel had to be massaged. I had a, you know, I got a nice belt sander. You know, you're going to need a belt sander, circular saw, and a jigsaw. You know, okay. You know, plenty of hole saws and drill. Oh. And you can do it. You know, so just basically massage every panel so they fit good and and there's not a ton of gaps, you know, so it, it looks professional. Man, you could like start a business doing this in the off season. <laughs> hey, you can't pay me enough to do this. So like basically <laughs> what I'm talking about doing, if you went to a marina and have that done. Yeah. So like I did it basically, if you didn't, if I didn't have to buy hardware, you know, you got what? $360 in wood. Right. Another two hundred dollars in carpet, you know, one hundred eighty. But I think it was about, so two hundred. So I mean, now you're into it, you know, five sixty. That's just material. Then you got glue, hardware, screws, yeah. yes. You know, like I would say, and I ran a bunch of wire, did some other stuff. I might have seven fifty into it, maybe eight hundred. Okay. And I would say you're looking at probably three to four thousand, probably if you took it somewhere. So you're gonna save yourself a ton of money. Yeah. You know, you know, you have that, even if you've never done it before, don't be scared. It's just wood. You know, it's, uh, if you mess it up, go get another piece. It's still cheaper than paying somebody else to do it. Right. You know, then see the other thing too, is it's a good way to get to know your way around a boat, figure out how things work. You know, you, you're confident, you know how it's put together when you go out on the water and you know, a 16 and a half foot, you know, 90, 90 horse boat, you know, you can cruise around pretty good with that. Even if you launch an Erie, you don't got to go super far out in the big waves, but man, you can be in, you know, Bulls Harbor or something like that and just stay somewhat safe and still catch fish well, in this thing. 
Yeah, and this, honestly, a 16-and-a-half-foot, 17-foot bow, you can pretty much fish anywhere any day. You know, it's it doesn't matter how big your boat is. I mean, I have a 23-foot and a 31-foot, and I don't care. I mean, just because the boat can drive in 3-foot, 4-foot waves doesn't mean I want to fish in it. Right, yeah. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the only thing a bigger boat does is give you more confidence driving back to the marina when right. it when it gets rough right you know so on a smaller boat you just pick your days because i'm not going to go fish if i already know it's going to be three foot waves and i'm not going right but uh, if it's going to be calm in the morning and the wind picks up you know okay well i'll fish until it gets rough and then i'll have the confidence to get back in because i know my boat will make it right so you just gotta pick and choose your days you know like it doesn't make the times where you're fishing any more enjoyable or not enjoyable because you're going to be fishing the same time right you're just it's just the bigger boat makes it safer that's the only thing exactly yeah exactly i mean and that's the thing like a lot of guys you know you'll hear them go back and forth and there's anglers are like well do i get a glass or do i get an aluminum well it's like okay well if you're going to go 19 20 foot are you going to go out and fish in three foot four foot waves um, you know, if that's the thing and you're like, that doesn't deter you, well then get a glass. But if you won't fish a day in a glass boat that you wouldn't fish in an aluminum boat, if that makes sense, you know, it's really not, oh, gonna, yeah. it's not going to matter. Just get the aluminum boat because if you're not trying to impress anybody or go out for a bunch of cash or you're not getting paid or your livelihood doesn't depend on it, don't go fishing, you know, but that's yeah. here or there. Yeah. I, basically I, you know, I, I fish fiberglass boats for the trigger boats just because of comfort. Right. Comfort and... It's safe and reliable for your customers, and, too. And reliable. Yeah. That's basically it. You know, I've had issues with aluminum boats where they leak. And then day in and day out, I can tell you, if you fish day in and day out, you are gonna you are going to have an, a leak in the aluminum boat. You just got to... You can't help it. Mm-hmm. They leak. They dent. The rivets fall out. Especially where we fish. We're fishing Great Lakes waterways. You're going to fish Saginaw Bay, Lake Erie, you know, Lake St. Clair, and there's no frequency on those waves. It's a giant washing machine, and they just beat you up. Mm-hmm. So you just got to pick and choose your days. So good. if you fish every day, you know, you're going to get stuck in shitty weather, and just, you can't avoid it. All right. Well, hey, man, this has all been great information. I really appreciate you taking the time to and just share your experience with it because I want to do a little bit more podcasts with going into, you know, quote unquote boat buying season. Um, hopefully if things open back up and they have shows and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, a lot of people need to think about this kind of stuff and, you know, do you need to go spend, you know, a lot of money on a boat or can you get by for another two, three years with something like this, what you did $3,000 picking, you know, spend another thousand dollars redoing it and get it running again. And will that hold you over so you can save up your nest for, you know, buying your dream boat of whatever that is. I think this kind of podcast and this information that you share is going to be super helpful for folks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, an expensive boat's a luxury. So, I mean, if you can afford that luxury, you can have it. Right. You know, but you got to think about how much we actually use your boat, how much enjoyment you're going to get out of your boat versus how much you're going to pay. Right. Well, cool, man. Well, so, well, I mean, like $3,000 is pretty much... Um, I don't know any fisherman that can't swing $3,000. Right. You know, so I got lucky. This is probably a little bit cheaper than most of the boats in this condition are going to go for. You know, I found a guy who was, you know, kind of fire selling it because he was moving a week later. So, right. Well, there's people that spend, yeah, more, there's, there's people that spend more on their electronics than they do their boats nowadays. 
Yeah, like I said, I, <laughs> I bought the boat for three thousand dollars. The guy threw in fifteen hundred dollars worth of electronics. electronics. Yeah. So if I didn't, you know, like if I didn't have that thrown in, I wouldn't be putting that on my boat. All right. I just it wouldn't happen. So, but the boat's got beautiful electronics on it now. It's you know, it's got side scan. I don't even have side scan on my Rubalo. You know, it's hilarious. So it's like it's got newer electronics than I do on one of my charter boats. So it's funny. Nice, man. Well, hey, where can people find you, kind of check out your charter business or if they want to come and maybe go out fishing with you? All right. Well, we have a website. We don't update it daily, but it should have your day-to-day stuff. That's chartergreatlakes at, actually, chartergreatlakes.com. Okay. The email is chartergreatlakes at Gmail. And then the phone number is 248-343-8863. Um, you can get a hold of us anyway through that. Um, we Obviously, we have Instagram, Facebook. That's going to be our day-to-day stuff. Um, we're going to usually, you know, we're going to post trips on there. We're going to post reports and you can kind of see what we're doing day to day. And we usually post within 24 hours of fishing. We can backlog all of our photos. You can see when we caught them, when the hot time of the year is, and when you got, you know, when you want to go. Yeah. I'll second that because I follow you on Instagram. Obviously I'm always seeing what you're doing and it's always a great time to get a pulse of what's going on. And the other good thing is that, uh, uh, Eric will always post like, what body of water he's on as well. So that way he's just not throwing random photos out there and you're just like, what lake is he yeah, on? Yeah, and it's nice. Yeah, and it's nice because honestly, it helps me too. Because mm-hmm. like you can look through all your photos and you can try to log information all you want. But like it's, I like it's like Facebook will pop up a memory. I'm like, oh, cool. This is where I was this time of year. It's like, <laughs> it's like a little journal. Like last year, like the last five years, really. You know what I mean? Like right. where I was at, what I did. And it's like, it's easier to keep records online now through social media than it is to actually write this stuff down. Yeah. It's like a journal. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like a, yeah, it's a journal. I don't even, it's funny because now I'm like, man, all this stuff going on on social media and all this like politics going on. I don't even want to be on it. You know what I mean? Right. But it's uh, it's good for the business, and it's good for obviously like knowing what I did when I did. So that's cool. All right, well, good for you, man. I'll let you go. I appreciate the time that you spent with us today, and uh, hey, good luck this season coming up. We look forward to following along. Yeah, for sure, man. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. See ya. Yep. Have a good one. Save some money, folks. There you go. You don't got to spend a bunch of money. You can just buy a nice three thousand dollar boat. Fix it up, put some time and some effort into it, a little bit of elbow grease, and you're good to go. I just want to say thanks for Eric for coming on the podcast. I thought that was a very, very informative um, way to consider maybe either a project that you want to do on your boat if if you've been putting it off and you thought it was time to you know rip that flooring up and put down some new boards and some new carpet. And or if you're looking at a boat and you're not deterred anymore by maybe the floor being a little soft or, you know, as long as the engine's running good or if there's something that you feel like you can fix, hopefully some of those pointers and things to look for um, you can take away from this podcast and apply it to to your own boat that you're looking to purchase and or fix up. And you don't have to spend a bunch of money either at the same time. So I'm in that boat, pun intended, but uh, I am going to consider ripping up my floor here in the next couple of weeks and redoing it myself so that has inspired me i hope it has inspired you and i thought that was a great podcast so in the meantime folks remember to head on over to the sportsman's nation podcast network subscribe to this podcast share it with your friends and uh, we're going to keep this thing going here in 2021 so i appreciate you being here 
And as always, thanks for listening.